Welcome to an episode of the Defo Mohapi Show, hosted by myself, Defo Mohapi. Thank you for taking some time out to listen to this podcast. The show explores the impact whether famously or infamously some of my guests have had on the world, their views on the state of the world currently and what they think needs to be done to make our world better, or at minimum, how we can all get along better and do better. Make sure to head over to radio.iafrican.com, that is radio.iafrican.com, and subscribe to get notified on new episodes of this podcast and other iAfrican radio shows. I hope you find this episode insightful. My guest today is a man who I think the Batman quote that says, sometimes you live long enough to see yourself go from a hero and become a villain. Uh, he, he, he left Poland and came to Africa, specifically Nigeria, to start an online business with a company that's been known or infamously known as an African unicorn. Ladies and gentlemen, Marek Smivzlovsky. <laughs> is that correct? Is that, is that correct? Smivzlovsky. Smivzlovsky. Great. And he has a... a, a what, what's, your, what's your nickname again? Chinedu. That's what it was given to me as well. How, how did that come about? Chinedu. Uh, there was a friend of mine who tried as hard as you to pronounce my last name. Yeah. And after a couple of tries, he just said, ah, I'm just going to call you Chinedu. Okay, cool. <laughs> but before we continue, man, I just want to be careful. Are we safe? Is, is your red alert or what was it? A red notice on yes. your passport so, off by Interpol? We're so not going to expect any police coming in here? <laughs> the Nigerian police um, is, does not look for me anymore, or at least she doesn't have the right to. The extradition request has been struck down, and the Interpol has taken down the the red notice, uh, which was put in put in the system by the Nigerian, uh, by the Nigerian police. police. It took me almost two years to, to fight for justice, but I finally made it, and I, I can finally travel again. So Interpol are not hunting you down? No, no, no not at all. No arrested all. customs anymore? Not at all. However, every time I stop at the airport and I give my passport, there's always a little bit of adrenaline going up. And I always travel with the proper documentation with me. And I always have my, my lawyers uh, on standby because with this bureaucracy and with those systems, like you never know if maybe there's a country that hasn't updated their data on time and uh, they will just want to stop me for a couple of days just to figure out. Interesting. We'll get back to that. Yeah. But who is Marek? I mean, how, how did you, maybe for, for some listeners who don't know who Marek is, who's this guy who doesn't sound South African, he doesn't sound Nigerian. Why is he in, in South Africa? Why, Why is he in Nigeria? Yeah. Where does he come from? So I'm Polish. I'm originally Polish, born and raised in Poland. Uh, did my first business businesses there i was i've always been an online entrepreneur with a, with a short career in uh, in so-called finance that's where i made my first money uh after a couple of failures and small successes with, with exits in poland i've uh, i've met the summer brothers uh, the infamous summer brothers so behind. these are the guys who started rocket internet right? these are the guys that started rocket internet and uh, they, at that time they've raised Sorry for my French, shit tons of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they wanted to uh, capitalize on the growth of uh, Africa, like they did in other regions, uh, and enter a lot of online businesses here. Uh, they decided to build those infamous African Amazons, yeah. African Ubers, African Expedias, etc., etc. And at that time, they needed a crazy team of 
you know, managing directors that would, would be called co-founders, you know, that were crazy enough just to leave everything and, and go to go to Africa, uh, start with Nigeria and start building those businesses from scratch. So the model, if I understand correctly, just for some people who are yeah. not familiar with the rocket model, is they would take the money that they raised, as you said, shit tons of money, yeah. and they would find co-founders, managing directors, and they place them to sort of run those companies. Exactly. And, and kickstart them in the market yeah it's a reverse it's a reverse investment fund model usually the founder comes with an idea that already has a working some prototype or anything and the, the fund has to fall in love with this business and with the founders here the fund already wants know what knows what to build and they have the money and now they kind of need the founder that will adopt this business concept so it, it it's also magic just the other way around okay that's interesting so it's not the typical as you say founders idea gets funding yeah. scale etc and this is, if I'm not wrong, around 2016, 2017? No, that was, that was, that was late 20, 2012. No, excuse me, excuse oh, wait, me. No, no, no. 14? 2013. 13, 13. 13. Yeah. And this is, and you started, if I'm not wrong, it was called Jovago. Yes, so at that time, uh, Rocket Internet, we have launched seven verticals. So there was an e-commerce called Jumia, there was a marketplace, Kaimu, there was online travel, Jovago, there was also ride hailing, easy taxi, there were yeah. two verticals for classifieds, for real estates and for cars, and there was also food delivery. If my math is correct, that was seven. <laughs> yeah. And the food, I think, was HelloFood? It was HelloFood. Hello food. Um, Hello food. And at and some point, uh, because the growth was not there, the market was too small, uh, it didn't just didn't make sense to grow seven brands separately. We just merged everything. And they ended up bro. being consolidated. Yeah, it all became Jumia. Jumia Food, Jumia Marketplace, Jumia Travel. And that's around the time you left, I think. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily the, agreeing with the whole concept of, uh, of, of merging everything, mainly because... Uh, Jumia Travel, jo Jovago back then was doing pretty well and the travel business is much different than other businesses mm -hmm. because travel involves bringing people from other countries locally or bringing your people uh, uh, somewhere else. Yeah. So that, ma that brand synergy is not always there. Uh, and also the inv we usually would take the money that Jumia, the biggest uh, brand, um, was raising and we were just kind of using whatever was left from Jumia. And when Jumia started having problems, there was less and less money for us. I wanted to totally separate uh, the company, not only have a separate brand, keep the separate brand, but also raise money separately and have a separate investors who understand the, the travel sector better. And that's where the conflict was. And, and I decided to, to finally move on my own. That was the time when I already fell in love with Nigeria, Africa. It was yeah, already yeah, four yeah, years yeah. there. And I figured out it's time for me to move on and maybe uh, start my own company right now, just like I did in Poland. Now I felt confident enough that I can do it also in, in Nigeria. Nigeria. That's where we started, yeah. And that's when Hotel Oga started? That's where we started Hotel Oga, yes. What was that? I mean, I, it, was it similar to, to, to Jovago or was so it different? Jovago, Jumia Travel, is an online travel agency. Basically, you can book flights or hotels. Hotel Oga is the software that hotels use to connect to online travel agencies like Jovago or Jumia Travel. So you have one software, one panel, one dashboard where you get all the bookings from the Jumia Travel, from Booking.com, from Expedia, from Wakanal, from whoever you're working with. So we don't need to log into 15 different accounts every day just I to see. check if yeah. bookings are coming in. Interesting. And this is also the time where the problems start or the controversy starts. Yes. But, but before we get to that, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's something we need to address. And then looking back and reading the posts and reading all what people were saying, one thing you've been accused of or something that's generally been accused is that you have a, what, 
I'm trying to find the right word. Yeah. A white savior complex. Yes. I have a white savior complex. Like you, you, t- like you. What what people typically say is you have this. Uh, men- not just you, but it's a typical mentality of uh, a white person comes to Africa and they mm-hmm. think they're going to save the continent, etc. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you do you see yourself as such or? So th- that's how I see myself. And you're telling me this is a white complex. Yeah. I entered Nigeria and I could see opportunities at every corner. Mm. I come from Poland, which was a post-communist country. Yeah. It Poland has undergone... Which is relatively third world, right? It was third world, yeah. yeah. Like, we were a third world. We yeah. were a destroyed country post-Second World War and the communists only made it worse. And in the last 30 years, we have made a tremendous growth. We are now becoming one of the power, most powerful countries economically in, uh, in Europe. The only one that is still growing, otherwise are in recession. And I kind of lost that window of opportunity because when the transformation started, I was like four years old. Uh, so there was like so big fortunes made on that transformation. And when I arrived in Nigeria, I could see all those businesses which I was lacking. And I'm like, this is like Poland, just 10 times bigger. Mm. And now I'm in the right time of my life that I can take advantage of it. And also I understood that from one side, I have the experience and the connections to money to bring investors and build businesses here. Like you said, you met the Samo brothers. And in in, in that sense, I have an edge many times over local investors that may necessarily not have as much connections to money like I do. They may have much bigger uh, pedigree to do business locally. They will probably make less mistakes. They have the know-how, the street street, street know-how. I don't have that, but I can raise enough money to cover for my uh, for my mistakes. So you tell me if me seeing the opportunities and want and okay, that's the second thing which people accuse me of, is that I really believe that uh, the NGOs model is not working, and if I'm building well, business, it's not working. That's not a mystery. It's that's a not bullshit. A mystery. It's a bullshit model. And, and I believe that if I'm building businesses from scratch in a country like Nigeria. I'm many times giving employment to people that wouldn't necessarily have the same opportunity if it wasn't for my company. Looking objectively, uh, looking at the people that used to work with me now open other companies and then coming back to me and they said, if you if I wasn't hired by your agency, I would probably be working in still in like a workshop or something. So in that sense, I believe that opening businesses and, and the healthy capitalism without the corporations which destroy yeah. the environment, etc., yeah. is bringing good stuff. Uh, so now you tell me if this is a white savior complex because it's really hard for me to judge. I don't know. I'm yeah. just don't, don't sh- yeah. I'm just a messenger. Yeah, so, I'm, so, so. I'm very open with, with that, yeah, that yeah, statement. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, th- there's a saying, if you have an attitude towards someone because uh, you ass- assign him to a certain group yes. and you have a negative assertions with that group, this kind of is forwarded to that person. And there's a saying that uh, if y- some people would see you walking on the water, those people who they don't like you, you can't swim. they say that you can't Correct. swim. So, well, my, my point on race, and since we're talking about the white savior complex, and, is that it's useless. I mean, I, I look at it from a biological and scientific point of view. It's yeah. like the amount of melanin doesn't exactly determine how you think, how you act, yeah. and etc. So I find it useless, and I wish we could get rid of it. But unfortunately, we live in, in, the, in a society that's structured and exploits that. Yeah. So yeah. It, At the it, same time, I get their point of view because yeah. I also get annoyed when I see some, I don't know, some teenagers. And it's especially from NGO side. From NGOs, yes. But also, you know, teenagers doing tourist stuff in in Gambia. They leave their five star resort and they go to the village and they give those kids candies and yeah. they make Insta stories that they are helping the third world by giving right. kids candies right. and and making a video out of all of it. I think that's that there is a problem there. Yeah.
I think that's where the problem, but from a capitalism point of view and studying businesses, I don't know, man. I, I partly don't agree with the whole yeah. white savior complex thing because if, if, if a country is a free market country like Nigeria or South yeah. Africa and you want to start a business and you're employing people and in the process you not only creating value for investors and employees yeah. but capturing that value for yourself, so be it. Yeah, I guess I can only agree with that. And uh, many times just calling out this particular problem is just a way to somehow, I don't know, just let out the frustration that maybe you don't, that person that says that doesn't have the access to the capital. I may, I have more access to the capital because of my connections with Europe. But is it is it fair? Is it unfair? Well, is, is capitalism fair or unfair? Like I can bring that capital, I can bring that uh, investments here and then maybe contribute to the ecosystem and then in the second stage someone else will also uh, benefit from that yeah i mean and, and you did create value for nigeria for some nigerians as well if i'm not wrong well you know jumia just in nigeria we hired more than 150 people i had only one foreigner hired yeah uh, obviously the technology was built uh, outside that wasn't my decision yeah uh, it's because Rocket had a tech center in Portugal and all the brands all over the world had their development done there. in that particular uh, tech center just because of the synergy of building code because all the businesses in all these continents were the same. So that kind of makes sense from the you know unit economics point of view. Because once you build a code in Portugal for online travel agency in Pakistan, I'm like, you can, you can use yeah. the same. And that's another thing I think people miss about. And I was also mad when I think it was... Uh, I forget his, his his name. I'll remember it later. This yeah. the co-founder CEO of of Jumia of Africa Internet Holdings when he said that uh, there's no developers. They develop everything That's in Portugal. No. But I think the part he that forgot to mention. Yeah. To be fair to him, as much as I can get angry at him, to be fair to him is that they're a global brand from a rocket point of view. Yeah. So they've got uh, what people don't really see is that they've got brands in Asia, yeah. especially in South America as well as yeah. well as in Africa with Jumia. Yeah. So. When they develop from one point of view, from, from one country, yeah. it's to develop for the whole world. Exactly. So the statement there are no developers is obviously false. I don't think is that what, that's no. what he meant. For us, it was just a, it was a better business decision to have one tech center somewhere in the world. It was in Nigeria, unfortunately, to serve all the other countries. But there was no white savior complex behind it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. So what I mean, what what happened with Hotel Oga? Because the stories, I mean, from what I read, and by the way, to everybody listening, I've read your book yeah. called Chasing Black Unicorns mm -hmm. before it's being published. Yeah, we'll get to that book a bit later. But the stories start around Hotel Oga time, where you now start hitting troubles with 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 investors, stakeholders, yes. and accusations start flying around yeah. about money stolen, etc. Yeah. So I think the whole Hotel Oga drama has three stages. The first, the first stage is when um, we were building this company like any other startup would build this company or we were facing challenges. We were not growing as fast as we wanted. We were burning too much money. The revenue was not there. Uh, our business model relied heavily on partnership with OTAs because that's where the revenue share came What's from. What's OTA, by the way? Uh, online travel agencies. Okay. So if the online, like I told you, this was a software that connects hotel with many travel agencies at once. So if the travel agency doesn't want to work with you, then you're not going to be able to connect them and you're not going to make money out of that particular connection. So I was the first software of that type in Nigeria back then. And back so then, nothing like that existed before? Not, not, non local companies. Obviously, you could, you could you know, hire, you could buy a software like that from the like, States. Uh, well, what, what, what would be the competitor? Is it Amadeus or something? No, like Amadeus is a huge software that connects uh, big chains of networks and, okay. and, and mainly airlines. Ah, um, okay, so okay. you can't just go there as a, as a hotel on your own. So you yeah. need to... But the travel clicks, the hotel runners... Um, I, see. I see. They, they, would not, they, would never, they would connect you to the big international online travel agencies, 
but hotels in Nigeria were not working with them really at that time. Uh, I wanted to connect the international ones and the local ones. And so obviously this is the, one of those opportunities that you say yeah. you saw in Nigeria and nobody saw them or, so or could, tackled them. So in one sentence, the reason for, for, the, for the challenges in the startup was that it was a very innovative model. And I was the first software that wanted to connect hotels not only with the local travel agencies, but international ones. And at that time, when you were a local online travel agency like Jovago or Hotels.mg, your main value was in the fact that hotels were working mainly with you because ExpediaBooking.com never got to them. So they saw a threat that when I connect the hotel from Nigeria, I immedi immediately will make that hotel available also for Booking.com. Ah, so you link with those guys exactly. as well. Exactly. Okay. So indirectly, I was bringing all the international competition to Nigeria much faster without them having to open their own office. So you were opening up a market. Exactly. Because I figured out that in, in terms of instead of pretending and trying to keep the market closed as long as possible, I'll make the changes faster and, and make money out of the changes. Okay. However, the local travel agencies noticed that, that strategy, and they didn't want to connect with me. So it was very hard for me to start to grow because I could only connect hotels with the international ones. So my main unique selling proposition that I wanted to have from day one kind of was not there. So obviously it cut my revenue in half, yes. and that's where the challenges started. So that's the first stage of a lot of challenges with the, with the company. The company was started by four guys, by yep, me, yep. by my friend Maciej, who I've known for 10 years, then I invited one investment fund from Poland, whose CEO was my friend since high school. Okay. And there was a Nigerian in Indian investor from uh, from Nigeria, living in Nigeria, yeah, having yeah, a Nigerian yeah, company. Yeah, I know the name. Yeah. Uh, and I've been his best friend. That's what I claim, and he claims, uh, at least for the three years before we did that investment. So it okay. was a it was a company built by four friends. So there were already people seeing value in this thing. Oh yeah, and they mainly invested because you know they believe the vision, etc. What you also have to remember is that when you have a company started by four friends, a lot of stuff is agreed with a handshake because we've known each other. Well, for correct. Years. I mean, it happens everywhere. Yeah. And then it, it goes it's, sideways. It's, it's a it's a trust thing, so you shake hands, exactly. and then later you sign the papers. Exactly, and and then problems started with the company not not going right. And here I have to confess, I was uh, at that time a cocky, arrogant CEO. Well, you are. That's what people accuse you. I of. still am. I'm, you, not, I'm not anymore. People say you're full people, of shit. Those, so those yeah, people don't know me. Yes, <laughs> no, no. I, I I was I was a cocky, arrogant CEO, and I, I was able to say at the board meeting to my investor yeah. uh, to shut the fuck up and let me run the company because I know how to do it. Yeah. And, and at some point, I also uh, fired my CFO. Uh, that was the CFO hired to... This is not one of the co-founders, right? No, no, no. That's, okay. just, a, that's just a separate Some, guy. Somebody hired to run the finances. Exactly. So out of, all, out of the group of four people, the guy from Nigeria was the one making the most problems, although he was the smallest investor. He wanted to have a proper reporting. Not a proper reporting, sorry. He wanted to have the company reported numbers the way he was used to. So are we, are we talking here about different accounting reporting standards? I'm talking or about just the type of files he was getting on a monthly basis. It okay. was about the file okay. format. Because we are digital you know, background yeah. Yeah. people and all, everything was reported by our business intelligence system, etc. Yeah. None of the other founders or the Polish investor had a problem with that. He always had a problem. So what I did in order to calm him down and get the company structure in place, because in startup you only care about sales in the beginning, yeah. I hired a CFO and I hired an auditor that this guy recommended. Okay. That's uh, fair, don't you th think? Th I did that because to calm him down. Yeah. Okay. That, although I was a cocky and arrogant CEO, and I will, yeah. I will stay with that opinion. However, at some point, they were still not satisfied with what they wanted to, to do with the company. Basically, I wanted to, what was the called? I wanted to escape forward. In a startup, when you start, when you start, you know, when you're close to losing all your money, you have to make a decision. You suddenly cut all the costs 
to quickly break even, become cash flow positive, and then look around what's happening and maybe grow slowly organically, yeah. or you double down on your growth and you go for a roadshow and you just raise a lot of money not to slow down but the growth. But you can't do both. You need to... You have to decide. Yeah. And I was all about freaking growth because when I come from rocket internet background, when we were raising the model. hundreds of millions of dollars, that's, that's the model I was taught how to build uh, businesses with. So I want to just quickly go to the market, raise a couple of million dollars and not slow down. Keep the, the costs high, but quickly, you know, um, uh, bring, bring the revenue up. Obviously, that was totally opposite what the, the other guy wanted because he comes from a totally different background of running a business. It's yeah. a, he's a third generation Indian in Nigeria, uh, petrochemicals, hospitals. So totally old, school, old, old, old money, school business, yeah, yeah. yeah, old money, old school industrialist type. Yeah. And, and those, those conflicts happen with me saying him at the board meeting to shut up and let me run the business because it's my company, all the bad stuff that the CEO can say. Yeah. And at one point, the CFO comes to my co-founder and comes to the other Polish investor and they say that they want to remove Marek from the board and they want to run the company on their own right now. In Were you a majority shareholder, if I may ask? I had uh, the 80% in the Nigerian entity and I had, I think, 65% in the Polish entity. I was the single guy that invested the most in both entities. Okay. And I was the CEO of both entities. So the CFO, together with the Nigerian Indian investor, went to my other co-founders behind my back and they offered him, remove Marek from the board, we're going to run the company now on my own. So that was the offer because I could see the documents. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned two entities and I think that's part of the controversy yeah. or, the, or the suspicions that were raised. Yeah that you hid a company, yeah. that you created another company <laughs> in Poland, yeah. and this company owned all the critical assets, which yeah. is the software yeah. and the intellectual property, yeah. and the Nigerian entity would pay, if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, would pay royalties or a licensing fee to this Polish entity that you hid from everybody. <laughs> and uh, that's where they discovered this, and now they wanted you out. Yeah, so so that's obviously complete bullshit. The reason why they're sticking to this story is that this is the only story they can stick to to save their face right now, now that the things got public. Uh, there's a there's a certain article written about it, and I can, of, of course, talk long, long about this particular case, but let me just finish this with no one problem. sentence. No problem. Is that the auditor knew about everything. Like, it's in the reports. We had a public videos listed on YouTube when Google in 2016 visited our office in Warsaw, and we've posted this on YouTube. Like you can find. I've it. actually seen photos. Was it on Instagram? I think a while back of you in the Polish office or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there's a video of, yeah. Yeah, of them visiting us in the Polish office. Uh, it's like there are there are there are there's salary of our developers that work in Poland on the on the reports given to the auditor, which were then sent to those guys. Obviously, that was never mentioned. For, for, uh, because if they did uh, uh, agree that they knew about this, the whole you know n narrative right now would kind of fall apart. But we can get to that. We can get to that later. And also to that uh, to that comment, uh, ev even if I wanted to launch a Polish entity uh, to steal all the IP and all the money, then why did the Polish entity sponsor the Nigerian entity? When you look at the cash flows, what do you mean sponsor? The, when you look at the cash flows, the Polish entity was financing the Nigerian entity. Okay. The Polish entity. How did that work? Because the Nigerian entity r ran out of money very quickly because the uh, most of the It was a sales cost, office, right? It was a sales office. with sales people, marketing team, yes. people. Everything was here. But it was more like a cost center. It was a cost in center. In the beginning, in the beginning. In the beginning. Uh, then there was really no end. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I personally later was putting money into Nigerian entity to keep it afloat when we were raising money. Okay. And Polish entity kept sending money uh, to Nigerian entity. And there's one thing that they were right, that the revenue from the one you were making from Expedia was going to Polish entity first. Uh, because Expedia, if you wanted Expedia to send you money to Nigeria, they would send you in Naira. And I wanted oh. to get dollars. 
So they said, if you want dollars, I need to send you to, to Europe. So they would send the dollars to my Polish entity. Then they would send the, we would send the dollars to Nigeria. I would, we would uh, and change the dollars. And there's an audit trail of this, obviously. There's a trail for everything. They In that article, Because that's, that's one of the things that I read, that, yes, you, that exactly what you said, that money would be... They only show the Clients trans- would pay... Um, the Polish entity, yeah, yeah. and you were siphoning that money to the Polish yeah. entity and hiding it from the from the Nigerian. They only showed investors. the transfers from uh, to me, but they didn't show the transfers from Poland to Nigeria, and they didn't show the transfers from me to Nigeria. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, which was that's, the, what I, that's all I saw as well. Statement, you know? That's all I saw as well. Obviously, that had to fit the narrative. But let me come back to the third stages sure. of the hotel sure. drama. So the first stage was when they wanted decided to get rid of me because I was the one not willing to do it the, their way. At this stage, the CFO and the Nigerian investor already knew that the company has potential, and they figured out that they can actually run it without me. They did, they don't need this uh, white savior anymore. They can run it from Nigeria um, on their own. So obviously the Polish investor, not well, maybe not obviously, but luckily to me, the Polish investor and my co-founder from Poland, Maciej, uh, who these guys knew, yep. and they knew where he's working. So again, bullshit story about they not knowing about Polish entity. They they both came to me and they said that these guys from Nigeria want to do this to you. So obviously the decision was very sim, on, uh, very very fast on the spot. I fired the CFO. And now we're entering the second stage of uh, hotel. Of, of Which hotel year Oga. is this now? I think that was still 2016. Okay. The second stage is when I have an investor that I have responsibility responsibilities towards because he still invested the money and I have to respect that. That is kind of trying to hurt the company and try to take over the company and has a totally different vision. Uh, so obviously we, we still kept him in the company. He was the minority shareholder. Out of all of the, all of us, he was the smallest one. So he didn't really he couldn't really do much. Um, we started searching for a solution to save okay. the company. Unfortunately, to again my mistake as a CEO, I wasn't able to raise the money. I had a very bad strategy. Investors didn't buy the concept. It was too complicated. Okay. I should have I should have positioned myself as a Polish Nigerian startup that wants to go globally. Uh, Do you think that narrative would sell? It would attract a wider, wider audience. What I tell you what didn't work. What didn't work is to position yourself as a Nigerian startup with a technology, with developers in Poland that has cracked Nigeria and now can uh, conquer Expand, the whole Africa. Yeah. Because for me, the potential of Africa was so obvious, especially in online travel. Not so much for the investors I was talking to. Yeah. So again, another six, eight months have passed. I ran totally out of money. My, pl- my initial plan go for you know double down on growth yep. that didn't work so now we were in the save the company save the company stage and in order not to go let the company go bankrupt we decided to do things we need to find a strategic investor or we need to merge with another company so we found two companies one from kenya one from south africa i remember entered, the kenya entity yeah yeah and yeah. there was also South African entity and we entered uh, we entered merger talks. One of the company was interested in the fact that we already had huge operations in Nigeria because back then more than 600 hotels were working with us. And the other company was just interested in, in the technology. Uh, so I entered the talks. As the CEO of both entities, as the majority shareholder, more than 80% of the Nigerian entity, I have, I have all the rights to enter negotiations with, uh, with any of those um, uh, investors. And well, when we were close to signing a letter of intent, I actually we signed the letter of intent with South Africa, if I'm correct. Which company? Knightsbridge. Ah, yes, I remember the investment yeah. company. No, they're, they're also a software company. Software company, yeah. okay. I remember the name, I recall yeah. the name. The moment this deal was, that we reached the agreement, all our partners, 
So the guys we were talking to in Kenya, the guys we were talking to in South Africa, all our partners like Expedia, Booking.com, TripAdvisor, tra uh, Travelstart, got a, got a letter from this Nigerian Indian guy that they shouldn't do any business with them because they felt that uh, I stole the company from them. So basically they in installed scared tactics to now block me from being able to make uh, that deal. That was the stage where they were just hurting the company. Because in that deal, if that deal got made place, they would, the, the Nigerian investor was still getting his money. In that deal that I was supposed to make, this guy was supposed to be the chairman of the board. Like okay. He was still all the time and in, still keep in, the, his in the equation and keep his shares. And in the, in, the settlement, in the settlement agreement, we were also negotiating with them at some point, he was supposed to become the chairman of the board of the big company. They kind of didn't want that deal uh, still why? to happen. Why? In your view, why? I think it's a mixture of, of ego and, uh, and also they wanted way more money. Okay. And also they wanted way more money. And, uh, and that's, I think that's the end of stage two where I told them, listen, this is what you're going to get. If this deal goes through, you get, you get on the board, you keep your shares. If you don't get your shares, this is your money. He invested $150,000. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the smallest amount out of all the shareholders. And if I'm correct, he was offered close to that. Just a fair cash out. Just take your money and just leave. We don't want you in the company anymore. Yeah. And he said, I want twice as that. And that's where we enter. And, and his basis for wanting twice? Why? It's because I, I believe that uh, the, the company is worth way more. You're kind of probably making a deal out under the table and uh, you're getting way more money under the table. What are the basis for his thinking like that? I was about to ask that, yeah. Well, the company was already had no money. Yeah. I actually had to ask for loans to keep... People were not getting paid three months straight. And if okay. I didn't pay These them... These are salaries. Stuff, salaries, right? yeah. yeah. And if I didn't pay them at that particular day, they would leave. And in one, in overnight, the value of the company would just... Zero. Zero, because yeah. with the people, it, we, well, we were only left with a piece of code. But if you don't develop the piece of code, it becomes very obsolete very, very fast. Like, technology ages very fast. Yeah. He wanted way more, and um, he didn't want it. And he said, I said, I won't pay you more. You have no legal basis to want to demand more from me. You either get this money or you wait for your shares once we finish that deal. And he said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to find another way to, uh, to get more money, to get more money. So obviously the deal couldn't happen, happen. uh, without his, because he's care of the South African company. The next day, Nigerian team all had to resign because wow. they were not paid. It was very painful for us. We were only left with a couple of developers and a couple of lines of code uh, in Poland, in the Polish entity, and that we were able to merge with the, with the Kenyan entity. I made, made zero money on that deal. I was just happy that the Polish developers uh, kept their shares in the merger company. I actually gave them my shares for one zloty, which many people don't believe. Well, I'm sorry if you don't believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I'm, I don't know how you looked at the word then. And then many months have passed, Technically, the offer was still on the table. There were you either come back for your shares or you come back for the money if you kind of get to your senses. Mm -hmm. Many months have left. Uh, of course, I was super angry with them, as you can imagine, because in my imagination, they killed the deal that almost saved the whole company. Yeah. Because the South African company so, was... So, for the record, that deal died. Dead. That, that's deal, that great deal with South African company that could save everything. Yeah. Absolutely died because they scared them off. Okay. Basically, the South African company told me, listen... I think what they are trying to do is that they know that we have huge funding because this Knightsbridge company had raised a lot of money from a lot of guys, big guys. Do you in think South it Africa. was extortion? <laughs> and and I, I wouldn't call this extortion, but when you have a, when you're suing someone much much bigger, uh, there is a chance you will get a nice settlement. 
True. Yeah, because they don't want to spend money on lawyers just to fight. Yeah, you. true, yeah. true. So I, th- I'm not saying if that was their intentions. That's what the South African company told me. That I think this is the play for for settlement. The deal with me, the deal with Hoteloga was just too small. It was like lower than a million dollars to either you know risk you know stuff like this and be dragged by in courts and risk losing those investors who invested in them tens of millions of dollars. It was not worth for them. It was high risk for them to do high that. Risk, not enough reward. They could afford to lose that. Yeah, yeah. as you said, they could afford to yeah. lose that Hoteloga deal. So the the deal was killed. Uh, I was I had to kind of move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys have never gotten back to me for a couple months whether they want the shares in that merged entity or or the cash we were just waiting and uh, they were also doing their stuff because that's that we're, that's where we're entering stage 3 yeah and uh, what's, what's stage 3 I am at the airport <laughs> in Warsaw I was flying to London this is an interesting part because I was I was for Christmas uh, visiting yeah, my family yeah. I think yeah that's that's what yeah. the, in your book then so. after after Christmas after New Year's Eve uh, I stayed a couple more days and I was I was flying to London again talk to some VCs get some money for, for another business I was looking at and at the airport I give the passport to the lady She her face turns even whiter than she is and she says that well apparently you are wanted by the Nigerian government for high scale fraud <laughs> and I'm like what? That <laughs> and must then I was send like, shivers oh. down your spine because that's it took some time in there for this to, to settle in, in. Yeah. and then after uh, 30 seconds I was like oh I think I know what this is these people were more confused than I was. Like <laughs> they never and had this a situation. And this is in Warsaw, right? This in is Poland. in Warsaw. I was extremely lucky that this is yeah. in Warsaw. Yeah. Because I arrived in Warsaw with my girlfriend, I think on the twenty third or something like that of December. December. Yeah. And then when we checked in the system, the the arrest warrant was put in the system on the twenty seventh. Wow. And I was flying. I think I was flying from Dominican Republic then, and I was traveling a little bit of, yeah. in the world. So if I was stopped, I don't know, in Thailand, in Dominican Republic, South Africa, anywhere else. They would probably send me back to Nigeria because they don't want to have a problem yes. unless my embassy would react. But in Poland, you're a Polish I'm citizen. a Polish guy. By definition, yeah. they're like, just let's check. I'm going to take your passport, stay in the country, and we'll see what's what's happening. I did spend a night in in, in the uh, in the jail at the airport or normal jail. It was a normal jail. Okay. It was a very infamous jail of Warsaw, and that that's that night in jail was really life changing experience for me. Uh, I can imagine, especially because they didn't know how the procedures look like. They confused the arrest warrant by Nigeria and the Interpol red notice. They confused this with European arrest warrant. European arrest warrant just acts immediately. Like they see which country. Okay, you, you're going there. Extradite you to that immediately country. because obviously within European Union they they, yes, they have yes. they have partnerships. So when the guy was closing me in the cell, he was said that you know if this works like the European arrest warrant, then I guess tomorrow we're gonna be getting you a flight to Nigeria. And uh, at that stage, I was thinking, okay, I know what he's doing. Uh, he wants to bring me to Nigeria, keep me in Kirikiri, the infamous Lagos jail, for yeah. a couple of days. I will sign every paper they will give me uh, just to get out of that police station yeah. or out of that yeah. jail. So I could I started connecting the dots. Like this is a very typical case. Um, uh, when you look at how many times, percentage-wise, police is involved in business disputes in Nigeria, it's higher than the rest of the world by an order of magnitude. Seriously? Because it's very complicated to go to court, to hire lawyers, to get your justice done. But if you have an influence on police, then it's just much easier to get what you want. If you know what I mean. So, uh, okay, not sure how, how much out of the book I should I should give out. Uh, don't give out too much, but you can, you can, you can. Yeah. Uh, uh, that night in jail, I promised myself that I will, you know, I will, I will get out of it. And, and did, did you promise you'll be a good boy and you'll never do man, bad things? Man, I was, I was, <laughs> must have been life changing. I'm laughing, but I can imagine. I was praising to all the gods yeah. I could think of. I was meditating. I was running in circles. I was doing push-ups. 
I was uh, just was shouting. It, it yeah. was I just did everything that you could ever. Because obviously you were thinking the next thing is you're on a plane to Nigeria. Yeah, because of that thought. Yeah. yeah. The next day comes. <laughs> the guy was such an asshole. He's like, yeah, so the plane is waiting. And I look at him and I'm, I almost fainted. He's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm joking. Actually, it's better than, than I thought. <laughs> and he takes me to the prosecutor and he says, well, you're a Polish citizen in Poland, so we won't just extradite you just like that. There's yeah. going to be an open case. The court has to decide. So we're waiting for Nigeria to send additional documents. Okay. Today you can leave. <laughs> and I got my staff back. But you I, can't leave the country, obviously. You can't leave the country. You can just get out of the place. Yeah. Uh, so I leave the building. My lawyer was already there because I was able to make one last phone call at yeah. the airport. And uh, I just broke down crying. So that, that, that was it. Nah, yeah. It's a crazy experience. I, I wouldn't wish it on yeah. anybody. Yeah. Then first thing I do is I, I call the representative of the, the Nigerian Indian guy. Yeah. Then I call him directly. I called the lawyer that he was always representing him at the last stage of yeah. our drama. And he said, I know what you did. Uh, so what What now? And he's like, pay what you want, what we wanted. Uh, we'll make sure that this goes oh, go away in a couple, couple of weeks. So they were extorting you, would you say? I mean, uh, they, I guess it's an extortion. Like they use the police to make me pay or the shaking money they you wanted down, me. if I put it's it It's a shakedown. Yeah. It's a shakedown. So that, it, was, it started complications for them because they hoped it, they would stop me in South Africa because that time I was usually traveling between Nigeria and South Africa. Yes, yes. So if they stopped me in Nigeria, because police went to my house. In and Nigeria. They raided my house, yes. They didn't find me there. Then they, uh, of course, issued the yeah. arrest warrant, put it into this Interpol system. They were hoping to quickly get me to the police station in Nigeria or, or the jail, Keep me a couple of days there, then I'll shake you to protest, shake yeah. you. And, and yeah. this case would never be public because I would be probably too afraid to come out, depending on what would they do to me there. Yeah, but that started the complications that I was stopped in European Union. And uh, I can only say that this is thanks to my girlfriend who suggested that we visit my family for Christmas. Uh, but that's another story. So, lesson for all the founders and everybody listen to your girls, listen to your girlfriends and wives. <laughs> yes, oh man, oh man. In business, sometimes I make better decisions, but everything else in life, I listen to my girl. Yeah. Um, and, and at that moment, I already knew that this is just, it's a, it's a scheme that is very often, unfortunately, it happens very often. I wouldn't say just in Nigeria, but in many developing countries who are struggling with corruption and, and the democracy and the judicial system is not too, um, uh, you know, developed, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. However, I have to say that if it wasn't for the judicial system, in Nigeria, I wouldn't win the case. Because what do you mean? So, long story short, because again, I don't want to don't want to yeah, give away too much of what's in too your much. book. The, the, the end the, the end game is this: I'm the I took the Nigerian police to court. I promised to myself that I will not pay that money, even if it's going to cost me more for lawyers to fight for justice. I will do on this. principle. In principle, okay. And also, I figured, okay, my book just became much more interesting. <laughs> So you had already started writing the book before this whole drama started? No, I wasn't starting, didn't start to write the book, but I always had an idea that at some point I may write a book about, about your experiences tech businesses in, okay. in, in Africa because it's an interesting topic, not too many people, there's not too much open knowledge about that. Mm. Um, so the whole, the whole it, the plan took two years, but basically the highlights was this. I took Nigerian police to Nigerian court, federal court in Abuja for illegal arrest warrant, unconstitutional treatment of... So you literally set foot in Nigeria? No, I had my lawyers. I was about yeah. to say, you're a brave man. <laughs> no, no, no. no I, I, After all the no, drama, the moment, set foot The moment yeah. I would do it, I would be done. Uh, they even kicked out my lawyer from the police station when he went to ask... You know, okay. what's the, basically, there was a lot of conspira conspiration, not conspiracy, conspiracy behind yeah. it, because we were arrest, I was there was an arrest warrant after us, but there was no details about it. We went to the court 
to issue to file for showing us the documents. If I'm accused of something, I have the right to see the the proof, etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's logic. I mean, the documents disappeared, and so on and yeah, so that, on. That, that happens often. Dockets disappear. We call the police dockets. They disappear. Yeah, they disappear. So long story short, I won. There were two arrest warrants on me in Nigeria. In both cases, the federal court in Nigeria in Abuja has struck them down, saying that it's unlawful and unconstitutional. And I even got $10,000 to cover damages. Okay. Uh, so that was done on the Nigerian So side. does this explain why all this noise about your case has died down? Because I, I, I haven't seen anything since. I, ha I wasn't really vocal that I have won everything because okay. I wanted to start making this public when the book comes out. I see, I see. It turned out that the Nigeria fight was much easier. <laughs> the big problem was the Interpol. Because the way Interpol works, there are books about how corrupt or dictators use uh, Interpol for their own purposes. Yep. Because it's, it's like YouTube. It's very easy to upload a video. But when someone claims that this video violates your rights, yeah. it takes weeks. There's processes. Any country, any major police station in, uh, in, in any country that is a, is a member of, uh, of uh, Interpol, including China, including Turkey, including Kuwait, including Iraq many years ago, and Nigeria have access to the system and they can just put you down. And in a minute, you're everywhere in the world. Yeah, it just needs the right signatures and authorization yeah. and that's it. To take you down, to appeal to Interpol, that takes months and many people, in many cases, years. And you have to have money, you have to have lawyers, and you have to be, if you are in the jail while this is happening, your chances of doing this are very, very weak. So it took you two years to it clear that two red, years. That and notice. I had to have a lawyer. It's called a red Poland. notice, right? It's called a red notice. Okay. And I had to have a, sp a lawyer in Miami who is, f who is specialized in Interpol cases. So you can imagine how expensive and these the guys costs, are. And the costs, man. You can imagine how expensive these guys are. So what also happened um, is that I was still pretending that I will pay uh, to those people. I just need more to, time. This is to the Nigerian... Nigerian Indian guys, yeah. Okay. The CFO is Ethiopian, actually. So that's the, that's the irony of the fact that the, the, the guys were Ethiopian and, and had an Indian passport. Uh, and in the end, Nigerians really helped me. The Nigerian police was the one that was corrupt, but the Nigerian federal court you know, ruled in my favor. Yeah. Uh, so I was pretending I'm going to pay them for many months, and uh, I just need more time. But, uh, and order, of course, during those phone conversations I had with them, when they were putting pressure on me, everything was recorded. And many times they have just admitted what they have done and who they yeah. have paid, etc. And that phone recordings now are super valuable uh, for your cases, for my case and everything else. You know, including the the guy, they, the, the lady they hired in Poland, who is a lawyer. I saw those emails. Yeah, she is a lawyer and she yeah. broke the law. And now she was super scared when she, the whole the whole public the case came, came out. Public, yeah, because she realized that she word? has. No, I'm good. Okay. She realized that she uh, she went too far. So um, then I went to Interpol. And it took me, uh, I think, 18 months to 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 wait for the decision of the Interpol in my case. Yeah. The whole documentation that I had to send to Interpol, explaining what happened, showing all the receipts I paid, all the all the bank transfers, all the phone recordings, transcripts, the yeah. whole documentation was close to 1,000 pages. Jeez. So I can imagine it took them some time to, to, to do it. And we're finishing now with the drama. Many people were advising me that in order to speed things up with Interpol, you have to um, make this case public because Interpol does not like bad PR because Interpol has enough bad PR. Interesting. That was a time when I think China uh, even arrested the CEO of Interpol. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> um, so I decided to make this case public and I wrote this Medium post. Uh, and that was the first time that the whole ecosystem And it went viral. And it went viral like yeah. crazy. What I have done 
too much strategically when I look at PR and, and, and reputation management is I went maybe a little bit too hard in people's impression on Nigeria. Because I said that's, the Nigeria... That, that was the next question later, yeah. but, but on the bad PR, yeah. Yes, Nigeria was... Uh, I, of course, I had sources and I had to explain that this, you know... Ha happens because Nigeria there's a Nigeria has a huge problem with corruption and I was mm. sitting citing sources etc etc but what I didn't I underestimated the power of <laughs> people on Twitter and I think there was just a crowd a, a mad crowd of people going after me that didn't care about the case they just cared that I went after Nigeria I yeah. have no right to con con uh, what's the word uh, the narrative about Nigeria yeah being I have corrupt. no right to yeah. criticize Nigeria because I'm doing business there etc a Nigerian can criticize a Nigeria but you don't dare you white savior I find that odd Nigeria. but yeah um, I think it's I, a, it's, heard, as you said it's that whole white that, I, that narrative about being a white savior I heard the nation pride I think that this is what happened however when you read the article I go super hard but I go super hard on the corrupted officials on the on the structural problem of police being involved in, the in business, business matters yes. so so um, there isn't in your in your experience in your limited experience of the few years you spent in Nigeria so you don't think the civil courts or the civil legal system helps business people or it's sufficient enough in man, Nigeria? Man, in, in hindsight, like I had so many, so I've done many businesses in Nigeria. Yeah. Smaller, bigger, start technology, not technology. Statistically, it's still not that bad. Like I was hit once and I was hit hard. Yeah. But statistically, it's, it's still not bad. And I still, statistically, I still encourage people well, to do well, business in Well, there's two ways of looking at it. Uh, yeah. There's there's a way of looking at it like, who, who's that author? Nassim Taleb, the black swan. You could yeah. be hit once, but that could be That's that true. could be fatal. Yeah. So statistically, that could still work, but it could be fatal. That's true. So. Yeah, sometimes yeah, the statistic just hits you once and yeah. then you're done. So uh, to, to finish this uh, sure. this story, um, yeah, finally, end of my Interpol has, has admitted that this is just a pure business dispute. And if they claim they have a case, yeah, that's why, I was asking why haven't about they the, taken uh, me to a civil court? Civil, that's why I was asking about the civil court system. This is, this that's is, where business yeah. disputes are settled. This is nowhere near a criminal proceedings. The, they admitted that what federal court in Nigeria has already ruled anyway, that the arrest warrant should never happen. Interpol only has admitted that and uh, has confirmed that. And Interpol has admitted that this should have never been put into the system in the first place. So now that, so this is now the question. If I have not committed any crime whatsoever, um, which was already confirmed by Interpol, Nigerian Federal Court, and also Polish prosecutor who has seen the documentation has, remember there was an extradition case. Yes. They also has shut it down. There's, there's no case. The documentation doesn't support this. This, is, this has never happened. So why did they do this? Why have they gone uh, to use police to create a fake criminal case against me? Mm. It's because... For them, they said fraud, right? Fraud, fraud. Yeah. Basically, when you look at the the, the sentence in the arrest <laughs> warrant, it says that I took their money and I ran away, like almost something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So imagine going to a police station. You go to a police station and you say, "This guy just stole my money." Yeah. And the police immediately goes after him, chases him everywhere in the world. They never even ask you, "Do you have any proof that you had that money?" Well, I think show didn't they the didn't they show it. only the if I remember the post or something where they showed transactions, as you said earlier, from the clients to the but that's the not Euro a proof Polish. of stealing money ah yes that's, not a, okay. that's just a transfer like okay if you don't know the, there was there was absolutely no proof obviously the, the, there's just so much more like polish embassy was sending letters to the Poli nigerian ministry of justice yes. why are you chasing this guy without so this was a serious international relations issue oh yeah oh i spoke to many ambassadors huh? um 
you couldn't be able to do this if you were sitting in an arrest or you, you didn't have the financial resources to yeah. do that. So I was extremely lucky in many ways. Again, white guy, white savior complex. Yeah, you guys have privilege, as they say. I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm privileged to be able yeah. to defend myself, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Interpol has confirmed that. So, uh. what, so I haven't broken any investment agreement whatsoever. If I did, why haven't you taken me to court for the last three years? That's you what have I'm the asking money. myself. You have yeah. the in-house lawyers. If you have the money to bribe police, you have the money to, to pay your lawyers. Well, the case is very simple. They have no case to get to get what they want from me in this in the civil way. So they just figured out they'll do the old shake down, the, the old trick. Yeah, that unfortunately didn't work out because I was so freaking lucky and privileged. I think you've exhausted all your luck. Yeah, man. man. The, the things that turned not, out lucky in your I'm not being at right the now. right place at the right time at the time the business was going through trouble, you still had money to defend yourself. Yeah. So I think you, you, you've exhausted all your life. I am I am extremely <laughs> lucky person. Uh, probably not always I have the right to be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So what's the situation now? I mean, what's, what's the status now? Are you still with Hotel Olga? Is it the business you're still involved in? Is no, it still, not, not is it still running? Not at all. This whole situation was traumatic for me on many levels. Yeah. Also, one of the reasons why I was such a cocky and arrogant CEO back in the days was that I was living in Nigeria for many years. I had problems in my relationship. Mm -hmm. There was so much, so much stress on me. I couldn't handle all this. So I needed, I needed to cut myself out of it. I went for travel. I moved to South Africa at that time just to I remember you clear were, my head. Yes, you went. You you moved to Cape Town. Yeah, you went to Joburg a bit. Changed my diet. Stopped drinking alcohol. Yeah. You know, went to Bhutan <laughs> I because my that. friend had a, my friend. One of one of the investors that I know had actually on my travel agency there. He knew yeah. what's been happening with me. He's like, just come. You know, I'm gonna be, be my guest. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 I needed all this to basically um, recover and. Even, Till today, like this has had a huge effect on me, but a positive one. Like I've become way more mature, way less cocky, which is good for the people around me. <laughs> you know, more full of shit. Uh, I think people will still say I'm full of shit because they do not necessarily like the way I talk, my yeah. personality. You just That's don't. Fair. You can't That's get fair. along with everyone. That's You're not fair. an avocado. You're not no. going to be loved by everyone. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah. what I wanted to ask you: Do you think you played any bad role? Is there, is there things you think in this whole saga that bad uh, things that you did? I've made many, I've said bad things and I've done bad things. None of them I have done purposely with bad intent. I have made bad decisions uh, and I was a bad CEO. None of it had a bad intent. And also... What do you mean by that? Like, I would never, it never happened that I would say, listen, okay, I'm, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to tell him that I'm doing this and in, behind his back, I'm doing something okay, else. See, there's, there's a bad, yes, bad intent. Yes, like. yes. I told him, get the fuck out of my boardroom. I know what I'm doing. It's obviously a bad thing to do as a CEO on so many levels. Yeah. There's a reason to, hi to fire someone for doing something like that. But there's not a, like a, like a calculated bad intent behind it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Cool. Now, you're out of hotel, Olga. You're normally in the hotel. Oh, yeah, no, no, what are no, you yeah. up to now, man? So uh, when this whole thing came up, I knew one thing, that I don't think like I want to open any new company <laughs> any, <laughs> anytime soon, anytime soon. I can imagine. Um, I kind of took a couple of advisory roles. Okay. Uh, you know, I, the whole case became public. What, you, what I've noticed is that it was a great social detox for me. Many people showed their faces that they never really liked me. Yeah. And when someone accused me, they never really wanted for me to show my side of the story. Yeah, but that's what always happens, especially, sorry to cut you, yeah. on social media. People don't want to hear both sides. 
And yeah. in life, you learn. I mean, as you grow older, there, yeah. there's always more than one side, and yeah. you have to listen to all the sides. So, so side note here, yeah. yeah. So I read this. When I wrote this article, everyone was like so excited, like there's gonna be drama because the other guy went after me. And then when I finally wrote this, like a 30-minute read rebuttal with like 40 points, everybody and, kept quiet. And I showed all the documents that you know convinced the courts and Interpol and everyone. The comments I got, well, this is already too boring. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. The, the, the clearing up facts the name are, is never as fact, effective. Facts as, are know. always boring. Facts but, are always boring. That's yes. true. Uh, so uh, to answer your question, sure. there was a great social detox. Um, and to be honest, a lot of people from, from uh, levels of business and sectors, very senior people, very respected uh, entrepreneurs, or then also opened up to me about their stories they never shared with the world. So this story kind of antagonized the people around me. I could see like who's, who's who was always on the other side, and now he. I yeah. see that, and who who were the ones supporting me. So anyway, there were a lot of companies right now. Again, white privilege in Nigeria or, or from, everywhere, mainly from Europe and the States that okay. are wanted to bring me on board to basically pay them not to make the mistakes I have done. And okay. I've taken which makes of, sense. Which makes sense. And again, because I, I'm, tr I'm I'm taking advantage of my privilege. I'm sorry for that. No, but because we all do. <laughs> we, we all we do. All we do. have a privilege somewhere. We yeah? all do, including like people, if I can say. I'm, that. I'm a European guy. Yeah. Did had my share of experience in in Nigeria, and people want to take advantage of that because they can relate to me because they also come from the same background and they want to kind of pay me to give them the, the, the experience they had. So I kind of taken on 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 board a couple of companies from uh, from Europe. And I'm bringing them, I'm kind of like a, a launching advisor for them when they want to enter uh, enter Africa. That's what I've been doing for the last uh, year and a half. I needed to, you know, continue make money because yeah. lawyers are not cheap. Okay. Uh, and also this allowed me to be more independent and write the book. You know? Cool. Because I was fighting the case. I was sending court cases. I was writing the book and then I had to make money. So the advisor roles were, were very convenient cool. way for so me. So you what what they would call uh, people, and when I say they, I'm talking about people who, who believe in the white, who, who talk about white savior complex. Yeah. You what they would call an Africa expert. I'm an African expert, yeah. 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 So, but there's no shame in that. I mean, you're using, uh, well, this is my personal, you're using your experience and things that you've been through and the knowledge uh, and, and not to consult with uh, companies that want to enter the same markets that you came to. But I'm an African expert because I know all the answers, but I know the people who know the answers, right? And uh, sorry, well, but that's it, how it works. The yeah. way it works is that if a European company wants to do something in Africa or in Nigeria or South Africa, they want to talk to European that already has done through that road. That's life. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then that European that is here, this called called African expert, then can hire all those people that we that call him white savior, but it, he needs them. It, it's, it's life. It's life. <laughs> it's life yeah. yeah so like you can't really you can't really discuss with this because it's a different mindset. I think when you, people are calling you white savior, they're forgetting how about how capitalism works. So if you're kind of accusing a capitalist of of a white savior complex, you can you need to make a decision whether we're talking about if, if capitalism is good or right or. If it's good or bad, because you can't talk about white saviorism without at least making a setting up the stage. Okay, what do we think about capitalism in the current stage? Yeah. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm, that, that, that mm -hmm, that's how mm -hmm, I see it. Yeah. I, I understand you. I understand you. Cool. So you're still on your social detox? Um, yes, yes. <laughs> not getting back into tech anytime soon? Um, so not in, in the detox in a way that you know, I, have, I have gone through it because the, the people around me have, have really polarized when this case, yeah. when this case, case oh, well. came out. And it was, it was pa very painful, but like any detox, uh, very liberating then in the long term. Um, because I could see people that would high-five me at the conference, people I would make deals with. And the moment the other guy you know, accused me of all this crazy they stuff, ran away. 
they just immediately posted on social media, I always knew he's a fraud. And I'm like, bro, like we, we were used to go for coffee whenever I was in Lagos. You didn't even give me a call and ask if... What's happening? Yeah, and now I know. I remember during that period yeah. when all that was happening, I was a bit busy. But then you dropped me a message. I can't remember if you called me or you emailed me or yeah. you WhatsApped me. And you were very disappointed. I think we one of our writers wrote a very scathing article about you. Yeah. And you were very disappointed. I can't remember what I said, but one of the things was I was a bit disappointed to read about what 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 yeah. what, what you apparently did. But yeah. as always, I always believe and that's why we're having this podcast. I always believe in talking to people and hearing all sides, man. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's just like we humans. Well, like you that. know what? It would be nice to hear the other side. Yeah, but the other site never revealed their identity. I had to respect their their privacy, their privacy yeah. because you know it's a, it's a moral good, morally very popular thing in Nigeria to do so-called calling out. But it's le- it's not legal. No, it's trust me, it's not a Nigerian thing. It's there's a new trend it's, also. It's, it's also, called cancelling. Now it's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's, it's 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 a social media thing. Everyone's People, like, call him out, call him. Out. I'm like, even a criminal has the right to defend himself and remain and remain private. Everybody's yeah. got rights, bro. They never, they never. M- they never reach, they never made public themselves yeah the the only guy that wrote anything in that case i think it was edmund olutu yes i never met this guy in my life i have absolutely Ooh, edmund. no yes okay i have absolutely no idea what's his connection with this case was he an investor no never met him in my life but apparently when i was reading articles during that time he it was said that edmund is an investor show me <laughs> show me how can he be an investor <laughs> and also when when journalists reach out to him and with questions like venture burn reach out to him yeah like, wh- why are we this case? Like, what's your connection? Um, who are you representing? Never any replies were given. Well, I remember there was a venture burn where I learned that he's an investor, or apparently he's Ale- an investor. Be- Alleged because ben- you mentioned was, this somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Venture burn yeah. said, How can Nigerian invest- investor, <laughs> etc. If you're an investor, then uh, can you show me the bank transfers you've ever yeah, made? Share certificates or whatever, yeah. Anything? I, I would love to be uh, to be in one room with those people. Okay, I'll in see, a public space. I'll see if we can set it in a public space. I'm all, in, I'm all in for a debate. Cool. No, uh, but in, in a neutral place. Because at one point... No, South Africa is a good neutral at, place. At one, it, it is actually. At one point, when we were discussing with them, they were like, okay, so let's all meet in one one location, one neutral location, let's discuss. They're they welcome like, to come to Joburg. And they said, let's meet in Dubai. And I'm like, nah, oh no, <laughs> I know what you're nah, doing there. Nah, London is nah. what you can do. Yeah, Yeah. Um, so, no, no, definitely. I'd love to do that. And I'll reach out to them and we'll see if we can set it up. Sure, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, so there's, there's this whole social media culture, man, about cancelling people and... Never not allowing forgiving. people to to, yeah. to to speak, and there's not even room for redemption or saying your side. And I I, don't, I I think that culture is not sustainable. And I've witnessed some of it in in this saga that you've had. Yeah, where it's almost as if, especially like you mentioned, when you publish the rebuttal with the details, everybody became like, "Oh no, this is boring." Yeah, I already had no, my share of fun. Yeah, yeah. We, we're not gonna listen to him now. Yeah, it, in a way. You know, the way that the data, is, the communication is structured on, on, you know, engines like Twitter, which is so powerful, it kind of feeds our worst. Yeah. Uh, our worst. I think it's optimized for friction. Yeah. And, and conflict, uh, because yeah. that gives attention. And it's the easiest way to get attention is by enraging people. Um, and what really made us where we are now as a society is, 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 is a long form conversation uh, and being rational. I think that's where, why I see hope in podcasts. <laughs> yeah. And and the, and the longer formats because you can put two people that were fighting each other on Twitter, you will put them in the room, 
if there's a higher chance they will they will just find find a common language. Yeah. Even if they don't agree, but there will be some. Twitter is not a forum that supports uh, agreement. No, it's just not. It's 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 designed to create antagon- to antagonize. That's how I look at it. Yeah, because uh, also, I mean, as you talk about podcasts, you can put two people in a room. There's a lot in communication that's not communicated. So physical body. I'm not an yeah, expert, obviously, but yeah. cues that are not verbal. But yeah. you can see. Oh, this person is sad. This person is happy. This person. Yeah. When you're talking to them face to face, and so, and you don't pick that up. On, and Twitter doesn't give you some new ones. I mean, life is not zero one. Yeah, there's it's always all about some fast layers. Reply, yeah. 180 characters. Yeah. Like, imagine you can even find an agreement. Of course, harder than a conversation. Sending letters to each other. Yeah, like have a rule. Like you mm-hmm. will not respond immediately. You will give yourself time to think about Correct. it. Yeah. You will refer to all the arguments. Like, even this is way more effective in in finding common ground than than, than Twitter. You know? Yeah. Quickly, man. Uh, is it April or May? Jumia listed. Thoughts? I think they listed on in April, yes. No? They, I think they listed on April, yeah? In yeah. April, yeah. My thoughts about yeah. this? Thoughts, thoughts? Because <laughs> now it's sitting, I think when I checked last week, it was somewhere on $10 now. Jumia is in a tough position. Obviously, you know, I have a, I have a, skin, I have a dog in this fight, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Jumia is obviously in a tough position. You know, the market is not promoting startups like that right now. Everyone is trying to IPO as fast as possible because yeah. the crush is coming. There was a lot of animals. What do you mean the crash is coming? I believe that there's going to be a, uh, you know. Tech the, the, boom, like a bust? There's going to be a decompression in the market very, time, very soon. Like Any I, reason why? I think it's just a cycle. I'm like, I'm not a capital markets expert, yeah. but it's just coming. Looking at what the, the VCs guys that I know are saying, mm. looking at how much cash is accumulated in, on the accounts of companies that are made, making money on investments. Uh, looking how many IPs have been happening lately, like uh, how how it quickly IPOs, know, yeah, IPOs, yeah. yeah, IPOs, not IPs. And obviously, Jumia was hit with the with the short seller Citron, yeah, uh, company which it is was making hit big. it was hit big. Well, let, let's let's put this in the context. The company is making money on on, on agendas like this. No, that's oh, but I think it's also important. Yes, yeah, Citron is shorting Jumia on on negative news and raising concerns, but it's not illegal. It's not illegal, although they are banned from Singapore Stock Exchange. So I know in, that. In what they I'm do in, that, in yeah. the States, it's not illegal. And Jumia was an easy target. I mean, there's just a lot of shit happening in Jumia. Like, there, there were, well, there, we had problems with sales guys' frauds since the very beginning. I remember yeah. HelloFood, I think 2014, Morocco guys, yeah. they just created like fake 100 restaurants or stuff like this. Oh, the the HelloFood. Yeah, just, just to, to push post numbers. Them, uh, just yeah. to get numbers, just to get, you know, commissions from the sales and they just yeah. take the money and they leave and disappear. And this is what's actually happening with Jumia in general now. Yeah. There, so you said, and you were actually one. And but the, they played this as a as a bigger strategy to fake numbers just to do a nice IPO, and they yeah. linked this to the senior management, which which uh, which is an accusation that is crazy, that you know that if if you are working, then you were working with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. But and and this this is something interesting that many people don't know. You were one of the few or first people to shed light on some of the happenings inside Jumia in terms of yeah. negative happenings. Yeah. And everybody was your friend back then when you were saying all those things. Yeah, because like if you're big, people tend not to like you. And I, I was the yeah. first one to, oh yeah, the, the, the whistleblower in a way yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. And then, then I was the cool guy, yeah, because it's not, not it wasn't my part of strategy. But you know, the big guy, guy like Jumias, you know, big European company doing yeah. big waves, big big moves in 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 Africa, neo colonizing, etc. Yeah, yeah, easy target for haters. Uh, and I kind of made some things visible, not because I was part of that. I, uh, that you know, emotional approach towards. Sure, sure, sure. I had my, I had different reasons. Uh, however, they kind of 
like that I was now in there. In their corner, in their everybody account. like yeah. that. That's yeah. why if you listen and we we coming to the end of this conversation, when we started the podcast, I said, you're probably one of the people that the Batman code that says, if you live long enough, you'll you'll see yourself go, or something like it, you'll see yourself go from hero to villain because yeah. I think you've gone through those phases where yeah. everybody liked you and gave you Chinedu as a nickname. Yeah. You exposed certain things within Jumia that yeah. were not like good. And then when things started not going the way people didn't like and... Now I started exposing things they don't necessarily want to be exposed. Then you become a villain, and that's yeah. life. That's life, yeah. That's that's all. all it it's all, all brings boils down to how we are as humans. We have certain convictions about certain things, and we will uh, integrate with people who you know, share the same convictions. And if someone has something a different point of view or showing something that you don't necessarily like, you're kind of gonna be in a different camp. You know? The facts come second. The 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 predefined approach comes first. And on that note, Marek Zmyslovski, thank you. You're getting better. You're getting better. Ah, <laughs> 60 minutes and I'm getting better. Thank you for being with us, man. Thanks for the invitation. I really appreciate to, that you gave me the chance to speak out. Thank you for listening to the Tefo Mohapi Show, which is broadcast by iAfrican Radio. To be notified of future episodes of this podcast and any other shows from iAfrican Radio, please visit radio.iafrican.com. That is radio.ia. F-R-I-K-A-N.com and subscribe. You can catch future episodes on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to leave us a review and rating on, of the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow myself on Twitter at Tefomohapi, which is T-E-F-O-M-O-H-A-P-I. Also, don't forget to follow African 2 on Twitter at I-A-F-R-I-K-A-N. Koto. Yeah. <laughs>